Thank you, David. I look at Roger there, and we sing that that particular song. You remember that's Melody Green, Roger, huh? Think back to the Keith Green days. I was saved the year he was killed in that plane crash in 1982, and his wife later authored that chorus. And I can't help but think about it. Those were powerful days, <laughs> and they still are powerful days. What the Lord's doing in this world. And he wants to do it through each one of us. I like this opportunity with the children, with the birthday, and with the, with the scripture memory because we're a community. We're a community of redeemed people. We care about each other. We want to see the torch being passed on to the next generation. And that's what we should be greatly encouraged to see, right? To learn those scriptures. So I want to come back to John chapter 13. And uh, Lord willing, we'll move into chapter 14 a little bit uh, this morning and then kind of overview the rest of chapter 14 this evening. And if you can be out tonight, they, they, these uh, chapters work together. Now, chapter 15, 16, and 17 are part of the same discourse from our Lord. He's preparing his disciples, his apostles, sent ones, He's about to depart. And I know for some of us, maybe all of us, it's hard for us to understand the gravity of what he is reporting to them here. Because we haven't traveled with him for three and a half years in public ministry. They were with him continuously. They traveled with him. They, they housed together. They ate together. They powerful ministry, our Lord's discourses and his miracles, and now all of a sudden he says, I'm departing. And their first reaction, and mine too, is, I'm going with you. Wherever you're going, I'm going with you. And he said, no, you can't come now. You will later. But there are certain things that need to be clarified. And we saw last time in verses 1 through 17, the issue of purification with this parable of the foot washing. It's so important. If you're going to follow after me, first of all, you need to be born again. And that's the washing of regeneration, being washed all over or bathed all over, he says. And then if you want to have part with me, if you want to participate with me in this work that I'm doing in the world, you need to daily, continuously be washing your feet because because, beloved, I don't know about you, but I can speak for me, and I think I can speak for you too. You can't live one day, one 24-hour period in this world without getting your feet dirty. Because this world is a corrupt, defiling place. It's anti-God. It's anti-Christ. It's anti-truth. It's anti-Bible. And if you think you can go a day or two without washing your feet, well, you're already susceptible to the evil one, see? He'll say, the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Ooh, I love that. I'm so pure, he has nothing in me. In Christ, there is no darkness ever at all. That's why I can draw near to him. That's why I can trust him, and you can too. He'll never fail you. He'll never disappoint you. He'll never hurt you. He'll never abuse you. And that's not the way it is in this world. Let's be, let's be uh, clear on that. So the whole issue of purification. And then in verses 18 through 30, that long section where he gives us, John, 
gives us more information about the dismissal of the pretender. And I'm using the word protection to link with that. So purification, now protection. And, and we can rely on him to protect us from pretenders. And they abound. They don't always come to church, but sometimes we can have people that come to church that are just pretending and maybe been pretending for years and and we can't see their heart they can mouth they can talk good and we listen to what they say but they're not they're dead spiritually on the inside they're dead they're just pretending and some are really good at it and and no one was better at it than this man judas iscariot because none of the other 11 even thought it was him they thought they could be the betrayer but not Judas. Oh, he must have been a smoothie. If you've ever been around people like that, and I have, I'm sure you have too, some of you anyway, it's scary. <laughs> because they're manipulators. They're extraordinary in manipulation. And they can manipulate you, manipulate others, manipulate people you care about. And maybe you've been the victim of that. Come to Jesus. <laughs> Come to the one who won't do that. He won't ever manipulate you. He's trustworthy. And then stay near the Lord Jesus. See, He protected. He protected from something they never even imagined was about to happen. He protected him. And then after Judas made his decision, here he's still reaching out to Judas, the pretender. And Judas finally makes a decision. Satan enters him. He's demon-possessed. And he's going to the chief priest now, demon-possessed. And he says, what you do, do quickly. Get about doing it. Let's get, this, let's get this going. This is Thursday evening. He's going to be crucified. Nine o'clock Friday morning. From nine till three on Friday, our schedule. He's on the cross. It's a solemn time, isn't it, to think about and I'm so glad the Holy Spirit led the Apostle John some 60 years later <laughs> to record these. So that brings us to verse 31. And that's where we pick up this morning. And so in verses 31 to 35, we'll see uh, uh, his pronouncement. And it, it, it's a threefold pronouncement with regard to glorification, his departure, and the new commandment. Of love. And then in verses 36 to 38, we see his priestly intercession. Very important aspect of our Lord's current ministry. He intercedes for us even now. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Because all of us, if we know ourselves, we know we're weak. And we're in a spiritual battle. And the enemy is much stronger than we are, but is not stronger than the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. What a Savior, huh? And then in 14, 1 through 6, we see the perspective, the issue of certainty. You know, we can endure a lot if we're certain of where we're headed. <laughs> if we're certain of our future, that really kind of settles our hearts, doesn't it? Uh, I think about sometimes even in, in an earthly way when we're planning a particular ministry or we're a particular area we're going to move to and do certain things. If we know the goal, if we, we know where we're headed, we know the, that gives us a security, that gives us a certainty. Well, the Lord says, I'm going. 
but I'm going to prepare a place for you. A place. <laughs> there are many mansions in Papa's house. If I can use that term Papa reverently, that's Abba, Father, right? There are many mansions in Papa's house. You might have yours right next to mine, for all we know. So let's get along now, right? Because we're going to need to get along in Papa's house. And it's very intimate. And it's very encouraging. So that's what we're going to try to see this morning. So first of all, pronouncement, his glorification. And, and it's interesting, again, how the Holy Spirit guides. He's already informed us of this, hasn't he, earlier this morning. See, the Holy Spirit works so often, maybe all the time, and we just don't always see it in the Lord's Supper to prepare us for the family Bible hour. And none of us, we didn't connect on this. This was done by him, and I love it. I love the reliance on the Holy Spirit. So he says in verse 31, when he had gone, and I love this, so when he, Judas, had gone out, he's purged, he's dismissed. And, of course, John said those sobering words, and it was night. You know, one thing, it's stop here, it might be good, just to show you a verse in, in studying this in Psalm 18, and I'd like you to turn and see it with your own eyes. I know the new Boulevard shirt has Psalm 1830 on it, so let's stay with Psalm 18. But there's another verse, just four verses ahead of Psalm 1830, which is really sobering. Now, David is writing this psalm. It is a psalm of tremendous victory. The Lord is my rock, the one who delivered me. And he tells us, the superscription of the psalm tells us that it was when he was delivered from Saul. He was delivered from the Absalom revolt later in his life. But this is earlier in his life when King Saul tried to do what with that javelin? Tried to pin him to the wall. <laughs> and the Lord miraculously delivered David. And that's recorded for us in 1 Samuel. But David writes this psalm after this. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer and my God and my strength in whom I will trust, my shield, the horn. He just can't say enough. But later in the psalm, sobering words, verse 25, with the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. Thirdly, with the pure, you will show yourself pure. But fourthly, there's a warning. And with the devious, like Judas, with the pretender, with the ones who want to play around with God, play around with his truth, make jokes about these things, with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd, see. So that's a good warning. If you're talking to people in your sphere of influence and you talk to them about the gospel and you talk to them about the Lord Jesus and they speak flippantly about it and they joke about it and they don't take it serious because they think they can outsmart God, show them this verse. <laughs> With the devious, God will show himself shrewd. And he will always outmatch the wit of any creature, including Satan himself. 
Satan thought he got a victory for himself at the cross, but God had a different plan, see? And what Satan didn't anticipate, God is now doing. He's saving us. And not only that, he's going to bring us into the position of worshiping the Lord and reigning with him. The one thing Satan coveted the most, he's not going to get, and it's going to be given to us instead. So what do you think he thinks of us? He doesn't think kindly of us, does he? He hates us. So don't play around with evil. Don't play around with, with the Lord. Stay reverent. So verse 31 of John 13. Now the Son of Man, or now I should say, the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. See, our Lord Jesus steps us back as God and he sees the whole picture now. Now the event is about to transpire. It includes where they're headed after they finish the hymn in chapter 14. They're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're going to cross out maybe even the eastern gate, but they're going to leave one of the gates of the city of Jerusalem, go down into the valley of the Kidron, and back up the hill of the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. That garden is still there. The olive trees in that garden, some of them date back, because olive trees can live a long time, I'm told. Some of them date back to the... 2,000 years ago. Some of those olive trees were there when our Lord was on his knees praying. Yeah, solemn, huh? So it's a special place. And after the Garden of Gethsemane, the arrest, the mock trials, the way they humiliated him, playing hot hand and all those things that they did, the crucifixion, and then the resurrection. It didn't end there. And then the 40-day post-resurrection ministry. Then the ascension. And 10 days after that, the giving of the Holy Spirit and uniting the body of believers into the church, Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And it's still going on. He's still adding to his church. And you and I are part of this huge company of redeemed saints from all over the earth. Every tribe and language is going to be represented. And that's part of the glory, see. When we meet people that from a tribe that we, didn't, we don't understand the language in a part of the world we've never imagined or seen, and they're, and they're worshiping on the same Savior we know, that's glory to God. Amen. That's part of the glorification. Now is the Son of Man glorified. See, So right away he's saying, look, this isn't a defeat. <laughs> What's about to happen isn't a defeat. This is a victory. There are steps in it. Because God is orderly in his processes. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. And we, as believers 2,000 years almost later, can you imagine 2030, 12 years from now, It'll be right at 2,000 years of church history. Israel had 2,000 years leading up to the Lord from Abraham all the way up to the Lord. And the church has had almost 2,000 years. It's a powerful time we're living in. 
participate, beloved. Use the time wisely. Redeem the time. We don't know when he's coming back, but let's be about our father's business. This is a powerful time. It's all come together. Israel's in the land. They've got Jerusalem. They were ready to lay the foundation stone of the temple back in the year 2001. We were supposed to do a archaeological dig there in 2001 and the State Department of the U.S. wouldn't let us go. They had the crane and they had the stone and the Israeli government said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that yet. We're not, going to, we're not ready for World War III. We're not going to... But the Temple Treasures Institute and those brethren, they, they want let's let's put the stone up there. Let's go. <laughs> we didn't know that. Did our press report that? They don't care about those things. Realize the times, like the men of Naphtali, right? They knew the times. They were ready. So the the Lord is going to glorify him. It's in the future, in verse 31 and 32, to the 11. But for us, it's in the past. We know he has done that. He is doing that. Every person that bows the knee and trusts Jesus Christ as Savior is giving glory to him. And that is only part of what's coming. (laughs) It's going to be awesome. And I hope you're a part of it. I'm so glad I'm a part of it. And if you're a part of it, I'm glad you're a part of it. And if you're not a part of it, I'm sorry for you. (laughs) I really do, but I'm not staying back. I'm going with him. (laughs) If you want to stay back with the devil, go ahead and stay back and serve the devil, and then he's going to take care of you in a way that you never dreamed. (laughs) But I'm going with Jesus. How about you? You ready to go with him? It's going to, there's a price, there's a cost to discipleship now. The Bible's clear about that. But he's worthy, beloved. What would you and I be? We got nothing without him. And then he moves in verse 33 to the second pronouncement, his departure. Little children, and I love that. You know, John uses that in his epistle too, doesn't he? Little children, it, it's a term of endearment. You know, my, my dear ones. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer, and you shall seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I'm going to have to tell you the same thing. Now, what's he referring to? Turn back a few pages to chapter 7 and verse 33. Well, verse 32, to set the context, six months earlier at the Feast of Tabernacles. That's in October of 29 A.D., the events here or in March, April of 30 A.D., but we go back six months and he says at the Feast of Tabernacles, remember John 7, 8, and 9, and half of 10 is the Feast of Tabernacles, his last one while he was here on earth. In verse 32 of chapter 7, the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and, and they're, they're believing that Jesus is Messiah. And the Pharisees and chief priests sent officers to take him, to arrest him. And Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and I, then I shall go to him who sent me. That's the Father. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Now, they didn't understand it at the time, the religious leaders, and even his apostles didn't understand it at the time. 
But after they had the Holy Spirit and they looked back on it, they connected the dots, see. And we're able to do that too with the help of the same Holy Spirit. So the Lord says, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And for a time, you will not find me. This is the part that had to really hit them hard. And it's like I say, I don't think any of us in this room in our day can relate to it because none of us traveled with them like that. But to suddenly be, I mean, <laughs> can you imagine looking into the eyes and face of God every day for three years? I can't imagine that. I can't even imagine that. But I'm going to do that in some day, aren't we? <laughs> Because Jesus still has a face, and he has two eyes and a nose and ears. And I can relate to somebody like that. I don't relate to a ghost. I don't relate to a spirit, but I can relate to someone who has a body like me and you, see. And then he issues, thirdly, the commandment. Verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, someone says, how is that a new commandment? They were commanded under the law to love one another. And that's correct. You go back in Leviticus 19 and you see the verse, love one another, how? As you love yourself. Remember, that's the second great commandment. When the Lord confined all of the law into two commandments, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But see, he's expanded that. He says, now I want you to love one another as I have loved you. How did he love you and me? When we had our stuff together? When we were super disciples following him and making good decisions consistently and walking in the spirit. Is that how he loved? What does Romans 5, 8 tell us? While we were yet. Oh, that's not so good, huh? Enemies, sinners, helpless, impotence, the word to help ourselves. That's when he loved us. So our love for one another is to be like that. When we see a brother and sister going through a struggle, do we say in our hearts, well, he probably deserved it. It's about time it got to her. Is that loving one another? What's, what did the Lord do? He'd be right there. Upholding. Putting the arm around him. Brother with brother, sister with sister. Praying for them, even if they were our enemy, we would pray for them, right? Sermon on the Mount. This is a high calling, beloved. And that's why in chapter 14, he's going to introduce the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because don't try to do this in your human strength, you'll fail. If you tried it, you know what I mean. I've tried it <laughs> in human strength. And that's what sets up the next section. Each of these sections set up each other, right? 
because now in verse 36 to 38, we see a picture of his priestly intercession, and we put together with this Luke chapter 22, you remember? And it might be good to go back and read those verses in Luke 22 or see them for yourself. It's verses 31 to 34 in Luke, and Luke alone tells us that in the midst of all this, The Lord said to Peter, Simon, Simon, interesting, he calls him by his old name. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. You ever seen wheat sifted? Maybe some of you sisters still sift flour in the kitchen. That's kind of become an old trade back when they used to bake bread in the kitchen. Some are going back to that, right, Tony? Some are going back to that with the new real grains and so and that. But I don't like the idea of having to be sifted by Satan. He still does that, though. And, and for Peter? And so this is the whole issue of the biblical word is brokenness. And the Lord can really only use someone he has broken. (laughs) And we get broken, broken of what? Broken of misplaced confidence. Misplaced confidence in what? In the flesh. Paul will say, I have no confidence in the flesh. But Paul had to be brought to that place, right? As Saul, he had to be brought to that place. And as a young Apostle Paul, he had to be brought to the flesh. And I've come to Philippians 3, and I have no confidence in the flesh. And I would submit probably maybe half this room has not come to that place yet. It's something that happens as a growing Christian, and you've got to spend time in the hammer. (laughs) Jeremiah says the word of God's like like a hammer. It breaks down that pride. And thank God for it. I've had young Christians and even older Christians, I guess, tell me, well, I don't spend time in the Word of God regularly because when I'm in the Word of God, it's just so convicting. And so I close the book and go about. I said, brother, you just missed out on a glory. You just missed out on an opportunity. Open it back up and let it do its work. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, than a scalpel is able to divide between the soul and the spirit. Two parts of us that are immaterial. We can't even find the The communists opened up that prayer and said, I couldn't find a soul or a spirit, so therefore there's no God and there's no soul. But the Word of God can do it. And so he tells Peter, but I have prayed for you. Oh, if that isn't highlighted in your Bible, highlighted in your heart, that's the difference. And that's his high priestly work. I have prayed for you, Peter. Because what had happened? Well, John tells us, Peter said, Lord, where are you going? In verse 36, and the Lord said, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. That's encouraging, right? But Peter's still thinking about his departure. And he said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Peter did in the garden. When he pulled out that sword, he could have been taken down. But when the Lord, when he's standing next to the Lord, he says, my, I'll pull out that sword. He missed Malchus's neck. That's what he was headed for. And got, when Malchus ducked, he got his ear. 
So Peter meant it. He, he's, he's not just using words, saying, Lord, I, I'll die. I'll die. And when he saw the Lord allowing them to beat him and to mock him and to pull out his beard, Peter couldn't handle that, see. The Lord knew that. Peter didn't. So our Lord says in verse 38, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Back to Luke 22:32. I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. But when and when, not if. You notice he didn't say if you come back to me. When you have returned to me. Strengthen your brethren. The the experience of brokenness is to enable you to be more fruitful for yourself and for the brethren. And hence, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, those epistles draw right out of this experience. Peter never forgot this. I wouldn't either if I had gone through it. The sifting as wheat. And you read about it. Remember, he went out. I think Luke alone tells us he wept bitterly. Like he just uncontrollable weeping. Here this big, strong fisherman. He could swim all the way from the boat in John 21. (laughs) Wait, we'll go. He jumps in the water. He swims all the way to shore. He must have been strong, great swimmer. But he had to be humble. And you and I have that course in our curriculum. (laughs) You know, we have certainly in the curriculum of the Lord's school, sometimes we have, uh, what do we call them, electives, right? I elect to take this, you know, or I don't have to take it. You know, I'd opt out of history maybe or opt out of biology. This course is mandatory. Isaiah 57, 15. The high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. And I dwell with what kind of people? The broken and contrite ones. And he adds in 66.3, And the one who trembles at my word. See, that's who the Lord dwells with. And I hope that's you. So verse 33 and 34 of Luke 22, he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And, And Peter isn't just making this up. He backed it up. Problem is, he's confident, but he's confident in his own strength. That's why I'm saying misplaced confidence. And we can do it too. And he tells Peter the same thing about the rooster crowing in three times. In uh, Hebrews chapter 4, and it's, it's really important for you to see this because this is a statement of our Lord's current work that many Christians miss out on. Because they're not applying this. Our Lord Jesus is at the Father's right hand. How much has been given to his authority? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. What's been given to his authority? All things in heaven and on earth. Full sovereignty. And yet we won't go to him in prayer. Think of it, right? And so the writer of Hebrews, remember he is just in chapter 3 and 4, one of the five warning passages in Hebrews. That's a great study in itself. 
and how they failed Israel did. You remember in the wilderness at Kadesh Barnea, and he reminds them of that. Boy, there are parts of my history I'm so glad are not in the Word of God. How about you? Right? We don't want to go back to those. Let's not record. Let's move past. The Lord said, no, that's a great learning experience to go back to those from time to time and remember how I brought you through. And part of it was the Word of God. That's the great verse 12 that we often quote, in and accurately so. But then in verses 14 to 16, Hebrews 4.14, Seeing then we might have a great high priest. Seeing then we have already a great high priest. What the Aaronic priesthood of the Old Testament was a picture of. And we can learn about that. We've got 39 books in the Old Testament, that tell us about the role and the ministry of the Aaronic priesthood. And that was just a picture, just a coloring book, if you will, an illustration book of the real high priest, Jesus Christ. That's what the writer of Hebrews is all about. Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So he's very clear who he's referring to. These early Hebrew Christians knew who Jesus was. They knew him, probably saw him, maybe heard him. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. The Bible, the Lord loves to do this, to use a negative to communicate a positive truth, right? It's a great technique. Some of you parents may do that with your children. To emphasize the positive truth, you put it in a negative way. He could have said, we do have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. But to emphasize it, he says, we do not have a high priest who cannot, double negative, sympathize, but instead was in all points tempted as we are, yet he never said, we do. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, not judgment, because we've been redeemed. We can come boldly to the throne of... You mean when I die, I can go to the throne of grace. No, he's talking about right now. In prayer, we come to the throne of grace to our high priest who is... Part of his ministry is to bring us through this wilderness to glory that we may do what? Two things. Obtain mercy. Mercy we need for what? Well, because we fail. <laughs> we come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need some of your mercy. I messed up. And you're not informing him of anything he doesn't already know. He's omniscient, but he wants us to say it. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, that is homologeo, it's, it's to say the same thing about it that he does. We use the word confess, but I like to say all five words. Say the same thing about it that he does. Agree with him, and, that, and forsaking the sin is part of that, right? But that doesn't mean we're never going to do it again, because we don't know. That. I mean, the temptation's tough. Our high priest knows that. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. That's part of why he became man. See, the, the glory of the mind of God in the incarnation, part of why I had him become man was so you, he could sympathize and you could understand his sympathy with your weaknesses. 
That's awesome, Lord. I would have never thought of that. <laughs> Part of why it stretched out for three and a half years is earthly ministry, most likely. Other things to meditate on. Obtain mercy for when we fail and find grace to help in time of need. See, Grace is supernatural. Supernatural means above the natural. Right? Beyond nature. Beyond the natural. Supernatural help in a time of need. And how often do we leave that supernatural help at the throne of grace in heaven instead of asking for it here when we need it in our time of need? Why? Because of misplaced confidence in the flesh, beloved. We all need to be brought to the place the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 7, 18, right? He had to be brought to that place. He knew the law better than most of us because of his training and upbringing and so forth. And he quotes from it in his epistles marvelously. But he was brought to the place in me, that is, in my flesh. Well, there's a little bit of good there, huh? The world says, find that little bit of good in your flesh and fan the flame of that good and you can make yourself fit for heaven. That's what all the religions of the world try to do, all of them, including some that claim to be Christian and some cults that claim to be Christian. Let's have our eyes open and realize this. The Bible says, in me, that is in my flesh, my old nature dwelleth no good thing. So let's judge it. Let's keep it in the place of crucifixion. Let's die to the flesh. Now, I know I, I was talking to a brother a couple of years ago, and he said, yeah. He said, I was at a particular revival meeting at our church, and I died to the flesh. You know, it was a, And there was a powerful time that happened, and it was a great experience, and that, and that was great. I said, yeah, but how about yesterday? Two years ago, you did it in a big revival meeting with all the emotion and all of that. But what about yesterday? Because you've got to do it every day. It's, in one sense, it's not going to help you if you did it two years ago and then you stop doing it because now you've got this big pile of temptations there that are going to stumble you up and tangle you up like a pretzel. That's what Paul means when he says, I die daily. And he's walking around. He doesn't mean physical death. I die daily to self. Because he has come to the place, and each one of you in this room and this speaker will have to be come to the place where we pass a no-confidence vote on the flesh. And we realize self can't be trusted when we talk about the things of God and the things of the Spirit of God. And that's what the Bible means by brokenness. So would you agree with me that's a good thing when that happens? It's, it's a good thing. I mean, be careful how you do this with one another. But sometimes some brethren I, I know pretty well wouldn't do this with someone I didn't know well. Brother, have you been broken today? 
You've been broken. <laughs> we have a good relationship. You don't do that with just someone you don't know. They might take it the wrong way, but we have a, and we're able to iron sharpens iron and encourage each other because we realize that's, that's the only place of blessing there is, see. Peter had to be brought real low to see that. Most of us have to be brought real low to see that. I mean, on our face. <laughs> but that's a good thing. If we turn to our great high priest and ask in prayer for grace to help in our time of need. That's the one time we need it the most, don't we? And some of our children quoted it already this morning in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. By the way, that book, you know, it, it builds, it's totally chiastic. The whole book, chapter 1 to 5, chapter 3 is in the middle of the, of the point in the chiasm. And 3, 22 and 23 is the middle of chapter 3. That whole book points right to his faithfulness is new every morning. His mercies fail not. He always has grace to help. So, beloved, let's remember that for ourselves. Let's remember that for one another. And then, Lord willing, tonight we'll move into chapter 14. The certainty, I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back and receive you to, to myself where I am. Billy Graham's, one of his probably last books. On heaven, where I am. That where I am, there you may be. That's where I want to be. How about you? Where he is. <laughs> I trust these thoughts in this powerful section of the Word of God will help us. We'll see tonight the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So important. There's so much misinformation about the ministry of the Holy Spirit today. Trust that will help us. So, Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the plan of God. We thank you that you're a Trinitarian God, not a Unitarian God. So much of the world believes in a Unitarian God and they'll go right into the tribulation thinking that. And there are Christians being martyred in the Middle East and Northern Africa because they believe in the Trinity. They believe in that Jesus is God. Tribulation saints will be killed for believing Jesus is God, according to the word of God. Help us to see these things and apply them in our lives. It's so important. Every step in the process, we want to participate, Lord. Help us. We're weak. <laughs> I'm weak. We need your help. Help us to lean on you. And we'll give you thanks and praise. You are the victor. You've overcome the world. We thank you. Be with us traveling home to this afternoon. Take us home safely. We ask in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen.